Spotlight. I'm Rachel Barenbaum, and today I'm here with the one and only Guy Raz. Yes, that Guy Raz of How I Built This fame. And I am just in awe that I get to ask this question next, so here it goes. Guy, tell me, how did you build this? What is the book about? Wow, thank you for having me. Um, so this book really is um, a series of stories. It's, it's uh, based on, on my interviews with more than 300 of the world's greatest entrepreneurs. And really what it is, it's designed as a journey um, on how to build something, whether it's a business or an idea or something that's disruptive in the world. And it really kind of traces that journey from ideation through to, you know, how do you find somebody to do this with, to how do you get your product or service out into the world, to how do you pay for it, all the way through the whole cycle of building a business or, or creating an idea. And it's told through the stories of incredible, incredible entrepreneurs. So this is a, it's not a traditional business book. It is a, uh, really, I, I think it's a storytelling book, but it's it's business lessons and wisdom and practical, actionable advice really told through narrative. So uh, I earned my MBA from Harvard and I loved reading that this idea came from sitting in an HBS class. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I had this incredible experience um, about 12 years ago to take a year off from doing what I do and I got to do a fellowship. It's called the Neiman Fellowship. And basically, you get to go to Harvard for a year, and they pay for your tuition. And you can take classes anywhere you want. So I decided on a whim to take a class at the business school. I had no real exposure to it, except as a reporter, um, you know, occasionally doing business stories. And I had expected to see, you know, um, to, to learn abstract business concepts and, and ideas. And I was really blown away that on day one, we were handed out a handout. And the handout was the story of Starbucks. And I got home and I devoured this, this handout. I, I, I mean, it was like 20 pages. I just devoured it. It was so interesting. Mm -hmm. And at the end, it, 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 it didn't end. It was like there was a cliffhanger. You had to wait until the next class to get the second part, part B of this thing. And that's when I was introduced to the case study method, which I did not know in 2008 was how business school is taught. And my whole life, my whole career has been about telling people stories, you know, whether it was, you know, I used to be a, a war correspondent in Iraq and Afghanistan or, or just telling stories of people on, on the campaign trail when I used to cover politics. And those stories were so powerful to me that I, it kind of lodged in my brain, you know, this idea that one day I would, I would like to tell these stories in the medium that I use, which is audio. Um, and, and, and basically figure out a way to deliver these stories to people for free so they wouldn't have to pay for the Harvard MBA tuition. And that was really the kernel of the idea. It was, I was really inspired by that experience to, to come up with what eventually became how I built this. I've read different stats that you have over 19, over 20 million fans. That is astonishing. Um, how do you feel about it? How do you handle that? You know, it's funny. I it's it's really hard to kind of quantify that because you don't really think of of it in terms of like human beings. But um, no, it's incredible. Look, I've been really, really lucky. I mean, I I um, I got into podcasting um, relatively early. I've been in audio for more than twenty five years, so my whole career. 
and about 25 years. And, um, you know, how I built this really just took off. I mean, it, it, it was a kind of a slow build. I mean, it didn't happen. It, there was no mass marketing campaign and we didn't have any money for it. It just, it was a word of mouth show and grew that way. And, you know, what, what we discovered was that a lot of people who listen to the show are not um, necessarily into business. And the other thing that we discovered very early on was unlike most business shows, the majority of our listeners are women. And we think part of the reason why is because about half of our guests have been women entrepreneurs. But I also think that, um, you know, uh, and again, I don't know the exact reason, but the show really is designed to, you know, to appeal to, to our, you know, to our kind of natural instinct in, in hearing stories. You know, it's a very human instinct. Um, and so having, you know, having a, 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 a committed and passionate audience is just a huge privilege. I mean, I, I'm so grateful for it. I wish I could meet every person and talk to everybody. And, um, you know, I get a lot of, um, you know, requests and people try to contact me and it, it's so nice. I, um, the hard part for me is not responding all the time because I, I wouldn't be able to, I, I'd, I'd be overwhelmed. Um, but I have learned to um, accept that, you know, that's just sort of comes to the territory, but it's really wonderful. We have a really passionate um, audience who are really interested, not only in building businesses, but in creating things in, 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 you know, being disruptive in a, in a positive way creating ideas, whether they're doing it on their own or within a company. And that's, that's what's exciting. And they also um, have, you know, they also find each other when we do live events pre-COVID times and also in our community spaces on Facebook and other places. So that's been really wonderful. One of the things that I love that you talk about, um, you have these passionate fans, but you also have passionate people that you interview. And you've said that you ask people to surrender themselves when they come into your interviews. Yeah. And I just love that. And I, I would love to hear about how you get people to do that, especially in the beginning. How do you get them to bear their vulnerability? Yeah. You know, what I, what I ask my guests to do when they come onto the show is to understand that all all lives are complex. You know, um, there is no such thing as a simple, singular, non-messy story. And I think in the world of PR and communications experts and specialists, you know, oftentimes when you hear prominent people being interviewed, it's the Facebook version of their life. Um, and that's not a real version of their life. We, we are all complex and we all have made mistakes. And we've all had incredible failures and setbacks. And what I try to do with the show and with this book is to focus on those failures and setbacks, not, not to embarrass those people, but to help us understand how they actually succeeded. Because we learn so much more from people's failures than we do from their successes. Success is not that interesting. And if you're on How I Built This, we know that you're successful. And this is what I say to the founders. I say, you know, it's implicit that you're successful but you don't have to prove yourself. Now, what you have to do is to use your success generously by being very transparent and open about your story and about the challenges you went through and by trusting that I am here to pull out the as full and as 
transparent and as accurate a story as I can. I do a lot of research before every interview. And, you know, we know that a single, a, a sort of a single oral history narrative can be, can have holes in it, right? When one person is telling their version of a story, there can be holes in it. So what we try to do and what we, I think we do pretty effectively is we do a lot of research before the interview um, starts. And, and, and I know a lot about the person I'm interviewing before they get to the studio. And so we're able to kind of fact check the story in real time. We do a lot of fact checking after, but, but in general, I mean, what we say to them is, look, you just have to trust us. We are going to honor your story, but we also need you to understand that you're going to have to talk about things that you may, may be difficult, but know that they will be contextualized in an hour and hour and a half long conversation. So take a leap, do a trust fall. And that's basically what we do, what we ask. I love that because you really juxtapose this vulnerable side of people in business with what you call the hero's narrative, right? And, but when you look at a hero's narrative and the idea of a hero, you think of strength and you don't think of mistakes. You think of a hero being perfect in a way. And so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that juxtaposition yeah. of presenting these stories. I, I love that you say that because I think you're right. I think a lot of us think of a hero as, as strong, but I actually think of, of the hero's vulnerabilities. I mean, when I think of, you know, Luke Skywalker or Rey in, in the new Star Wars movie, the new Jedi, you know, I, I think of her, um, her vulnerabilities. I think of Luke Skywalker's vulnerabilities. I think of Harry Potter's vulnerabilities. You know, they're all heroes. They're all, they're all part of this, this, this narrative. And anybody who, who loves, um, you know, great epic stories probably knows about Joseph Campbell and his theory theories on, on heroes journeys and, and this idea that basically most stories follow similar patterns. There's, there's a, a, an arc that you find in these epic stories. Um, and it's something like, you know, something like this hero has a crazy idea. She's a bit of an oddball. Everybody in the village thinks she's an oddball. So she has no choice, but to leave the village to pursue her dream. And along the way, she will get lost. She will find a mentor. The mentor will die. She will fall into an abyss. She will battle a dragon. She will come to near-death experience. And she will emerge from that and then eventually return to the village triumphant. Um, there, there are moments in building a brand, in building a company, that mirror many of those Sec sections, many of those experiences along the hero's journey. Obviously, no one's slaying a dragon, but there's, there, there's a metaphorical dragon. And that's the story I'm trying to tell because building a business is extremely hard. There are nights where you may be on the bathroom floor crying in the fetal position because you can't make payroll and people depend on you or you have put all of your money on the line and it's not working out or a competitor comes and, and, you know, comes into, into, into your space. There's so many things that happen and, or people tell you it's impossible. No one's going to want this. You know um, I think about, and I tell a little bit, I, I, I mentioned this a little bit in the book, the story of Tariq Farid who came up with edible arrangements. I mean, he, he, he grew up in Pakistan. His family emigrated to the U.S. He had nothing. They had a flower shop uh, in, in a town in Connecticut. 
he eventually founded Edible Arrangements. Now, if, you, if I went to you, Rachel, and I said, hey, I have this idea. I want to cut up cantaloupe and melon and strawberries and arrange them in a bouquet of flowers and then deliver them to people's doors. And I need money from you to invest in my business. You would, I think, say to me, that is a dumb idea. I am not going to invest in that which a lot of people said to Tariq Farid. He, he, he just knew. He was convinced. You know, he, he, it didn't matter how many times he heard no. He knew that this was going to work. It was a crazy idea. He had to leave the village. And, and you know, the, rest, the rest is history. Edible Arrangements is a business probably worth more than half a billion dollars. It goes back to your very first interview with Sarah Blakely, founder of Spanx. You said, if it's such a good idea, right, why isn't somebody else doing it? Exactly. I mean... You know, that's, and, and every single one of these founders has heard a version of that, which is, if your idea is so great, why isn't it out there? Or why hasn't somebody else thought of it? And the, the truth is, is that some other people may have thought of it. They just didn't execute on it. They didn't, they didn't realize that dream. I mean, Sarah Blakely knew that for a long time, women were cutting the legs off pantyhose and using them um, to, you know, to, to smooth out the lines, um, uh, you know, on their bodies. So when they wore dresses or whatever, or jeans, you wouldn't see the, you know, underwear or whatever, it, it, you know, you, you could see. So she knew that, she knew lots of women who did that. So she, she knew that there was something there. Um, and of course she was right. So what is it you think? You've spoken to so many entrepreneurs at this point and the dealing with the rejection, the crying on the bathroom floor. And I would say that writers deal with the same rejection, the same crying on the bathroom floor. What is it that makes a person get up? What are some of the characteristics or inspirations that keep people moving? I mean, there are a couple of factors. I think the first one is, um, you know, obvious. It's, it's perseverance, resilience, an unshakable sense of optimism in your product. But he, here's what I will say. It's not that they have this superhero power. Some people are just better at getting up off the bathroom floor and just going on to fight another day. But most of us have to develop that skill. We have to, we have to create an ability to be able to do that, right? It's like exercise. I don't like exercising. It's not really very fun, but I do it every day because I am in the habit of it now and I know I have to do it. It's just part of my, my routine. It, now, because I do it every day, it's easier to do it, right? Similarly, when you are rejected by somebody, when, when most of us uh, you know, present an idea or a product or concept, um, you know, the initial reaction might be this sucks or this is stupid. And none of us like that. We don't like rejection. Humans like validation. You know, a writer, a writer delivering a manuscript, an unsolicited manuscript, wants to hear people say, this is great. You know, you don't want to hear people say, this, this, this isn't good, or this needs work, or whatever it might be. Um, and the difference between the people who can get off the bathroom floor and the ones who have a hard time is exposure to rejection. It's like any other type of exposure therapy. If you are exposed to enough rejection over time, you will be better at handling it over time, which is why Sarah Blakely is a great example of this because she started out selling fax machines door to door. For the first five years of her career, all she heard was people say, no, not interested, please leave, no soliciting. When you hear that thousands and thousands and thousands of times, you get used to it. And eventually you understand that it's part of the game. 
and hearing people say no, or having a setback, or, uh, an, or, or watching an obstacle placed in front of you, you get better at knowing how to handle it over time the more you actually experience it. It's very weird because most of us don't like it, but you have to actually experience it to get better at handling it. And everybody is going to experience rejection, failure, crisis, ridicule. The difference is that the people who get up off the floor and keep going aren't afraid of it. They've learned not to be afraid of it. And it is a skill and a trait that is acquired, that is learned. At the same time, you also talk about luck and you believe in luck. And luck, I think, goes hand in hand with, as you show in the book and through everyone you interview, you know, maybe a little bit of luck, but a lot of hard work, right? Maybe 2% inspiration, 98% hard work. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about that side too? Yeah, I mean, the parallels with writing are great because, I mean, a writer can spend a year with their butt in the chair and just banging out words and only 5% of those words will end up in the book, right? Um, it's, it's painstaking work. Um, I think that hard work is, it's an obvious part of success, but I I don't think it it really fully explains um, success. And by the way, when I use the term success, I don't mean financial success. I mean, successfully bringing a product or an idea out into the world that has an impact in some way, right? Because some of the entrepreneurs I've had on the show are not actually incredibly wealthy. You know, Dip, Kurt Jones, who invented Dippin' Dots. I mean, it's a cultural product, you know, iconic cultural product. He's not a wealthy man. But, you know, hard work, as I say, explains only part of it because a, a waiter or a waitress works really hard. A busboy works really hard. A construction worker works harder than anybody in Silicon Valley. Okay, I don't know a single billionaire who works as hard as a waitress or a busboy or a construction worker. So hard work alone is not enough. But hard work, um, you know, is obviously an important factor. I mean, when you are building something or trying to create something, you have to be committed to it. I, I think that the 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 other side to it is, or the other sides to it is, are intangible factors. So I, I use luck, but luck is really a catch-all term. I mean, luck can mean um, things that are be, even more beyond our control, um, like privileges, where you were born, what your background is, um, you know, what kind of socioeconomic status you grew up in. Did you have two parents? Did you have a stable household? I mean, there are all kinds of factors, but I also think that there are factors like personality. You know, um, do you have a the kind of personality that makes it easier for you to deal with rejection, or makes it easier for you to meet people? Um, are you naturally charismatic? I don't think these are the qualities that you have to have to become an entrepreneur, but there are qualities that all entrepreneurs develop in some form over time. You know, this ability to to, to pitch your idea, to, to talk about this thing that you want to bring out into the world. So, um, so, so of course, you know, the, the hard work matters, but there are other factors in our lives like, you know, certain privileges or, 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 or circumstances that, that, you know, some people have, have, have found themselves in um, that I think are connected to, um, to a, a sort of a greater explanation for, 
certain outcomes. I will say though that luck, I, I love the idea of luck because it, it I think that a, a form of luck or a lucky moment passes all of us by. We are all at some point gonna have a moment or moments in our lives that are lucky. Like think about people you meet, that you meet randomly who are actually great friends and have had a really important impact on your life. You know, I met my wife, I didn't even meet her, I saw her at a barbecue 20 years ago. And then met her at a party the following week, which she almost didn't come to. And I left to go become a correspondent in Germany three weeks later. And we were apart for two years. And she's my wife, we have two children and, and my most important sounding board. I, I don't think I would do how I built this without her, without her advice and wisdom. So that's luck, you know? Did I work really hard at, at making sure that we, you know, had a strong relationship? Of course, but I mean, the fact that, that we met was luck. And I, I think without that luck, I, I'm not sure I would be here talking to you about how I built this. Do you have any advice for debut authors or people who are just starting out? You know, I will take, I will give you the advice that I got uh, by reading Ed Sheeran. I did a show with Spotify a couple years ago called The Rewind, where I interviewed pop singers. And um, this advice was relayed to, I believe, to Sean Mendez and other pop singers. Um, Ed Sheeran said to him, go to every, go everywhere. Anybody who wants to talk to you about what you do, go to every radio station across the country, around the world, sign autographs, meet fans, stay, you know, stay, do the work. Um, be everywhere you can, have meaningful conversations with everybody you can about your record um, because that's what will create connections between you and your audience. And that's, that's my advice. For any debut author, try to be everywhere you can, say yes to every opportunity that comes your way and talk about your book with, with the passion that it took to write it. Guy Ross, thank you so much to saying yes to this interview and for your amazing work. Make you sound ready.